So we're in Isaiah chapter 3, and we're reading from verse 1. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. The mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty and the honourable man and the counsellor and the cunning artificer, and the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbour. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honourable. When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. In that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be an healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. For Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord, to provoke the eyes of his glory. The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul! for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy paths. The Lord standeth up to plead, and standeth to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people, and the princes thereof. For ye have eaten up the vineyard, the spoil of the poor is in your houses. What mean ye that ye beat my people to pieces, and grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord God of hosts? Moreover, the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, and making a tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet, and their calls and their round tires like the moon, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs, and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and nose jewels, the changeable suit of apparel and the mantles, and the wimples and the crisping pins, the glasses and the fine linen, and the hoods and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell there shall be stink, and instead of a girdle a rent, and instead of well-set hair baldness, and instead of a stomacher a girding of sackcloth, and burning instead of beauty. Thy men shall fall by the sword, 
and thy mighty in the war. And her gates shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit upon the ground. Amen. May the Lord bless to us. Once again, a rather sombre and solemn portion uh, from the word of God. It is surely true that the events spoken of in this prophetic passage had their express fulfilment at some stage in the history of Judah. John Gill, the uh, commentator, suggests that many of the judgments mentioned uh, here in this passage point to the destruction of Jerusalem at the time of the Romans, when the city was laid waste and the Jewish state was brought to an end. However, there is an ongoing and enduring relevance in God's word for every generation because it is the living word of God. And these events may have occurred a long, long time ago. And yet the Apostle Paul tells us in, in 2 Timothy that all scripture including these writings, in fact it was these writings that he was talking about, the Old Testament scriptures primarily at the time that he wrote this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He's telling us that these Old Testament prophecies are as relevant to God's people now as they were for the people to whom they were first given and those who witnessed the events to which these prophecies pointed actually taking place. The specific sins that offended God here in this chapter and the practices that he condemned and the judgments that were sent from God show the kinds of measures and sanctions that God employs to humble the proud, to confound the self-satisfied and to punish evildoers. And it is true that there is a day of judgment coming that still lies in the future when Hell will open wide its mouth to receive all those who are cast out from the presence of God and the judgment throne of God. Hell will be their portion and separation for eternity. But it is also true, notwithstanding the judgment of hell that is to come, that there are troubles sent from God in time and calamities of judgment visited upon the wicked in this world as well. Now we've already remarked with some of the younger people earlier that there are troubles come upon the Lord's people and they have a design, they have a purpose 
to cause us to lean more and love more the Lord our Saviour. But the same problems that draw us closer to Christ come upon the wicked as judgments and condemnations. Now it may well be that a particular evil act may not have a particular attributable judgment brought against it, like a cause and effect. But let us not be deceived. God's eyes are directed upon the particular sins of this world. They're not closed to injustice or oppression. All they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. There is an accountability that falls upon the men and women of this world. Jeremiah questioned why the way of the wicked was not punished and that they often seemed to prosper. He asked the Lord directly, Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? But let us make no mistake, sin reaps its reward and justice will not be denied. There is a great assize coming. There is a day of accountability coming. But there are also day by day the consequences of evil dispensed by God. So we therefore, even today, leaning upon this passage and other passages like it, may learn how the dispute God had with the Jews of long ago repeats itself through the ages of this world, such that recurring patterns of sin bring recurring patterns of judgment. Now, it's not my intention to spend too much time reflecting on the judgments. Judgment is God's business. And we have matters of grace and goodness and hope and everlasting life to talk about today. But I will say this. I do not think that we could have a more up-to-date description of the deep-rooted malaise that afflicts our Western societies today than these sanctions described by Isaiah 700 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It does seem as though the Lord has again stripped away many of the assets and privileges described here in these verses as being removed from Judah by an act of the Lord's condemnation. And also it seems as though our societies have been afflicted by many of the same scourges listed here in this passage. For example... 
to be ruled by children is to have leaders who are not up to the task, who are childish and mentally inadequate and weak, who are fearful and biased and partial and egocentric. People who pursue politics for power and not to improve the lives of the population and the environment in which their citizens live. And we look around in politics today and we wonder, where can you go to find honourable men and women? These are judgments of God. At least they were 700 years before the coming of Christ. Might we not see these replicated today when we see the same sins generating the response of the Lord? You look at churches or you look at church leaders and Isaiah says the show of their countenance doth witness against them. They no longer even try to hide their lies. They have no shame at the hypocrisy that they exhibit. They claim to speak for God and at the same time act in direct contradiction to the word of God. There is an open and a flagrant disobedience. They declare their sin as Sodom and hide it not, says Isaiah. I wonder what words he would use to describe what is going on even in our religious and secular world at this moment with respect to Sodom and Gomorrah. When the leaders of church and state call evil good and good evil, put darkness for light and light for darkness, put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, it's not a sign that judgment is coming. It's not a sign that judgment is imminent. It's in itself the evident judgment and proof that it's already begun. But enough of this. It's easy to identify the fruit of sin in a fallen world. Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 3, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. So there's plenty of that in the world, but it's our privilege to think on higher things, more blessed things, more glorious things, the things of Jesus Christ. What does Isaiah have to say to the Lord's people it, at the same time that he is declaiming against the wicked here in this chapter? Let's have a think about what he says to the Lord's people. There is an irony that when judgment is promised in the word of God, it's the Lord's people who tremble. It's the Lord's people who become anxious. It would seem counterintuitive that that should be the case. Surely the blessed of the Lord should feel vindicated that judgment is coming. And the wicked should tremble. 
But rather, when God promises judgment, the wicked are careless. They have no fear of God before their eyes. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So that as the condemnation of God unfolds, the wicked seem increasingly careless and the people of God more and more anxious. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, happily, Isaiah has a message for the Lord's people in just this situation. A word of comfort and hope and reassurance that God's faithfulness towards them is firm. And we, you and I, brothers and sisters, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should not lose sight of this. Even then, in the days of Isaiah, long before the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is he who is in view in this passage, is sending words of comfort to help his remnant people. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord who is spoken of in verse 1. Just as he was the angel who was sent to the Jews in the wilderness. He is the one whom the people are called to behold. Behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Behold the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. Now the remnant people of God will never be forgotten by their Saviour. We are his bride. We are loved and cherished by the Lord Jesus. We are his dearly beloved children. We are his little flock. A mother will forget her children before the Lord Jesus will forget or fail to take care of us. In the midst of a sinful generation, and every generation is sinful, in the midst of a sinful generation, surrounded by false religion, the Lord's people are reminded of God's continuing faithfulness to his own dear ones. And as the Lord, through Isaiah, condemns and punishes the wicked, and removes his blessings and brings judgments on the wicked, when the wages of sin begin to be paid out, the Lord defends his own, promising to stand up for his church, affirming their peace by declaring, Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of of their doings. They shall eat the fruit of their faith. They shall eat the fruit of all that the Lord God has provided for them in their Saviour. There's a word of comfort here directed expressly to the Lord's people. And we have three little statements uh, that are made here by the Lord Jesus Christ with respect to the Lord's elect placed 
as they are in Christ's safekeeping for all eternity, the Lord never forgets them. And Christ tells Isaiah to speak peaceably to his covenant people. And here are what he calls them. He says in verse 10, they are the righteous. Say ye to the righteous, it shall be well with him. Now, these individuals are not righteous in themselves. Their righteousness is the righteousness of Abraham, the righteousness that comes by faith as a gift from God. That's the only righteousness that there ever has been in this world. Because man is a fallen creature and all that emanates from this flesh and this mind is tainted and spoiled with evil. But there is a people who are righteous. And indeed, this reassurance had to be given to these dear souls because they trembled being aware of their own state and condition before the holiness of God. Here we see the picture of the Lord's grace extended to these folk in the time of Isaiah. As the judgment started to unfold, as the, the stirrings of God's justice were felt, the guilt in the the the, the mind and in the heart and the soul and the spirit of, of these elect people started to stir. It's as if to say, we are ruined with the ruin of Jerusalem. We are as fallen as those who comprise the fall of Judah. Our tongues, our doings are as much culpable as the tongues and the doings of any other. We are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. Surely we have provoked the Lord to anger. Do you see this? Do you see what is happening here? As the judgment unfolds, it's the people of God who tremble. Those who should have been afraid have no fear before their eyes. And those whom the Lord calls righteous tremble before the holiness of their God. And yet what a word of comfort is sent to them. Fear not, little flock. You are righteous in my sight. Isaiah, say to the righteous that it shall be well with him. And that was true then and it is true today and it always will be. It shall be well with our souls who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be well in this world, even in the midst of judgment and in the midst of deception. It shall be well with the righteous for the sake of Jesus Christ. How is it? That the Holy Lord God can tell a sinner like you and me, it is well with your soul. Only because he has made that soul as holy and pure and righteous as the Lord God himself. 
It is only by taking away our sin and justifying those sinners with a perfect righteousness that it can possibly be well with our souls. But this is what the Lord calls us. He calls us the righteous. He has made us spotless. He has declared us unblameable and acceptable in every way to God. This is what we call justification, the making of a soul, a man, a woman, a boy or a girl, righteous in the sight of God. And it's not a work that man can do for himself. It is, in essence, a work of God. And it is an eternal work. It is an everlasting work. It is a work of God's covenant purpose of salvation and grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is bestowed by grace. It is received by the obedience of faith. And it is learned and enjoyed and felt by depending on the trustworthiness of God and believing on the promises of God towards us in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ long ago had been set up in the covenant of peace as surety for his people. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. His blood cleanses us from all sin. His sacrifice redeems us to God. His death makes us holy and enables that righteousness of God to be our portion. To make us unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And the Lord Jesus Christ identifies a people in every age and declares them to be righteous. He says, behold, judgment is upon you, but tell the righteous it shall be well with him. So that's the first thing that the Lord says to these people. He calls them the righteous. So who are the people called righteous? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ leaves us in no doubt about that matter either. He says they are my people. My people are the righteous people. Oh, my people, he says, they which lead thee cause thee to err. O my people, they which lead thee, destroy the way of thy paths. Well, the Lord standeth up to plead and standeth to judge. The Lord, the Saviour, tells us that he has a people and they are his people, my people. And he stands up to plead and to judge for them before their enemies. Now, there's a distinction here. It's of the very essence of the Lord's words. Their enemies are not his people. So here we see this distinguishing grace being played out in the lives of individuals and in the history of the world. The Lord has a people that he calls righteous and they are his people and they are distinguished from the rest of Adam's race. A distinction that is made between those who are the Lord's and those who are not. This is the elective purpose of God. 
This is the election of grace that Isaiah spoke about in chapter 2 and which the Apostle Paul speaks about in Romans 11 when he says in verse 5, Even so, then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. My people, my remnant people, according to the election of grace. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal word, stands to speak for his people as our representative, as our advocate, as our intercessor. True it is, we have plenty of accusers. There are plenty of grounds for accusations. But when Jesus stands to represent us with the absolute certainty that all our sins are carried away, he says, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is Christ that justified. He has paid for in full, never more to be remembered against us, our sin. What a blessing to have such a one stand for us before God, before the law, under the constant tirade of Satan's accusing uh, 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 or accusations and to declare us guiltless. Because as his people, he has borne all our sin and secured all our salvation. Paul reminds us of the Lord's words. I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And again, God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So the Lord calls his people the righteous. And he calls them my people. And here's the third thing that Isaiah tells us that the Lord calls his own elect. Remember that Isaiah was preaching to an Old Testament people waiting patiently for that blessed hope of Christ's coming. They waited for Christ's first coming as we wait for his second coming. And they were called to be patient in their waiting. And this is what the Lord said to their oppressors and to their enemies. He says, the spoil of the poor is in your houses. What mean ye that ye beat my people to pieces and grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord God of hosts? The Lord Jesus Christ calls his righteous people, my people, and he calls us the poor people for whom he is pleased to stand. It's an interesting accusation that the Lord makes against these enemies of his people. He says that they have robbed his people, taking their spoil into their own houses. They have beaten the Lord's people to pieces. They have beaten the Lord's people to pieces. They've ground 
their faces in the dirt. So they're robbed, they're beaten, and they're humiliated. And if we consider these spiritually, we discover that the religious world and the leaders of the religious movements of our world, of every age, steal and rob the blessings of the Lord's people from them. And they take what is not theirs. They take what is not their possession and not their right and they store them up in their own houses and they talk about them and they exhibit them and they, 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 they uh, manage them and, and display them as if they were their own. But they have no right to these things. They are not their own. These are the possession of the poor. Blessed are the poor. They take the joys of the Lord's people, the comforts of the Lord's people, and they hide Christ from them. They exploit religion as it has always been exploited for their own gain. And they make merchandise of God's elect, the people of God. Peter writes about this, the Apostle Peter. He writes about false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. That's in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 and the verses following. Uh, you might want to read that sometime and just see how uh, Peter speaks about these false teachers. But they're robbers. They're thieves and they're robbers and they steal from the Lord's people that which does not belong to them and never will. And they do it under the auspices of religion. And also, not only are the people of God robbed, but they're beaten. The men and women of this world have beaten the Lord's little ones by tempting and abusing and luring them into sin. Now this is not, and that's not my intention, this is not to mitigate our own responsibility, our own culpability, our own weakness, and the natural fleshy desires of our heart. But the Lord states, Woe unto the world because of offences. The world offends the people of Christ. Woe unto the world because of offences. For it must needs be that offences come. But woe to that man by whom the offence cometh against one of my little ones. The day will come when the righteous judge of all the world shall put all things right and hold every man accountable for the sins committed, not only against God, but also against his people, and charge the wicked for their sins. Romans chapter 12 verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And he will repay. This world 
robs the blessings of Christ from the elect to the best that they can by hiding Christ from us. And this world beats down the body of Christ and the people of Christ by their temptations and by uh, their, their abuses and uh, by the, the way in, in which they confront our minds and our eyes and our thoughts and our senses with all the wickedness that is around about us so that our hearts are grieved within us like it was in the day of Noah. This world opposes and endeavours to crush and dominate the spirits of the Lord's people by sneering and mocking and humiliating the Saviour. The Saviour we love and the gospel in which we believe. And yet Christ says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Hear then, hear then the Lord's words as he stands in defence of his church and holds accountable all who harm his little ones. Take comfort that the moral chaos And the spiritual confusion we see in our present age is not God losing control and wicked men grasping authority from the hands of the Lord. These manifestations of evil are the first fruit wages of sin. They are the beginning of sorrow. They are the confounding of the wise of this world and the humbling of the mighty of this world. Men and women shall reap what they sow, and the judge of all the earth shall do right. As in the days of Isaiah, so in all these last days in our age, the church, the elect of God, the righteous, my people, The blessed poor are safe, secure and under the formidable protection of their shield and defender. God is on his throne, dispensing justice and judgment according to his own goodwill and pleasure. And so it shall be. Amen.